In the song that we just sang together, there is that phrase taken from Scripture, Seek first the kingdom of God. We have to ask ourselves when we sing something like that, what does that mean? What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. You know, if you're a Christian today, then you are a citizen. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. You may be a citizen of another nation. You may be a citizen of the United States, maybe a citizen of another nation. But your primary citizenship, the primary realm of authority that you are under, the primary ruler that you are under and are to worship is the realm of God and the ruler who is God himself. So, to be good citizens of any kingdom, we need to know a little bit about that kingdom, don't we? Amen. We need to know about the laws of the kingdom. We need to know about the king. We need to know about when the kingdom began and when it ends. We need to know about the message of the kingdom. So today, we're going to begin a two-part message on the kingdom of God. The reason that we're looking at this message now is that as we go through the Gospel of Luke, we've just heard a couple of parables that I will then preach on, Lord willing, in three weeks. Those are parables regarding the kingdom of God. But as I began to study, began to realize, you know what, we need to present a good overview of what the kingdom of God is, so that it will be helpful to us as we examine these parables, and as we see in the Gospel of Luke as we go along, this concept of the kingdom of God mentioned over and over again. So today we're going to lay a groundwork regarding the kingdom of God. There's some basic things as we consider the definition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the long-prophesied rule and reign of God through His people in this world to proclaim His message, the gospel of the kingdom, and then there is a further manifestation of that kingdom in time and space when Christ will come and wrap up all things in this world. Mm-hmm. And we're going to examine today some of these details as we go through. But first of all, let's consider this. The title Kingdom of Heaven is used 70 times in the New Testament in the New King James Version of the Bible. The title Kingdom of God is used 32 times in the New Testament. And then the word kingdom, referring to the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, is used over 25 times. So the New Testament speaks to this concept of the kingdom just in these titles over 125 times. So, with that much focus in the New Testament, I think we need to have a basic understanding of what this kingdom is, don't you? Okay. By way of clarification before we dig into some scriptures, I want us to note that the concept or the title Kingdom of Heaven and Kingdom of God refer to the same kingdom in the scriptures. Okay? And here is some evidence for that. These terms are used interchangeably, and we can see that when we look at what we call parallel passages in the scriptures. In the Gospels, we have oftentimes two or more recorded accounts of the same events because we have more than one gospel, right? We have four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So oftentimes the same event in the life of Christ or the life of the disciples will be recorded in more than one place. But it's the same event. So we can look at those and we can get a good idea of the full picture of what took place in that event. Well, here's what I want us to note. If we look at Mark chapter 1, verse 14, we see in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, that it reads, Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. There's one of our titles there. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now, 
If we look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, we see from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, that title is used to describe the same thing. Jesus' message was, Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. And that kingdom has two different titles in the Gospels. One title is the kingdom of God, and the other is kingdom of heaven. So we need to realize as we approach this, these are both the same thing. One other instance of some parallel passages like this, Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, we see, And assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. But then a parallel account in Luke 18.17 says, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Now, once again, it's just simply that there were two titles for the same thing. Two titles for the kingdom. One is kingdom of heaven. One is kingdom of God. The scriptures are very clear about that. So as we go through and as we look at these scriptures which list kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, just realize that these are one and the same thing. They're one and the same thing. And, you know, we would often, we would often use uh, different titles to refer to the same thing even in our own lives. And we could think of examples of that. But these are one and the same thing. As we go through these next two messages... Today we're going to look at the time frame of the kingdom and we're going to look at the king of the kingdom. Next week, Lord willing, by God's grace, we're going to look at the laws of the kingdom. We're going to look at the message of the kingdom and we're going to look at the citizens of the kingdom. We're going to try and answer the questions. Today, what time frame does the scriptures present to us regarding the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, and who is the king of this kingdom. And then next time we'll look at who are the citizens of this kingdom, what are the laws of the kingdom, and what is the message of the kingdom. So, as we consider the time frame, I think what we need to realize as we put together all of these scriptures, and in preparation for this message, I printed out every passage in the Bible that used the phrase kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God or kingdom and I poured over those for two or three days just looking at every single one of them and noting the characteristics of those so we're going to dwell heavily from the scriptures today but one thing we need to realize about the time frame is that the kingdom is already but it is not yet okay it is already but it is not yet when we put all of these scriptures together, we're going to see that there's a tension there between the already and not yet. And that it's important for us not to fall into saying, well, the kingdom is already here and that's it and there's nothing else to come. But it's also important for us not to say the kingdom is not yet and it's not here at all in any way, shape, or form today. I think we need to see both and not either or in this situation, okay? So, as we look to this, let's start farther back in time and work our way forward. The first thing we need to realize is God is the sovereign of the universe and he has already declared his dominion over the nations of the world. And this has been declared even in the Old Testament. And God has always been sovereign and has ruled over this universe. Consider Psalm 47, verse 8. Psalm 47, verse 8. It says here, and notice in the present tense, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. God is reigning. And this stated back hundreds of years before Christ even came and began to preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
In Psalm 146, verse 10, it says, The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. So the first thing we realize, God is sovereign and He has reigned over the nations as the sovereign God and Creator. But we also need to realize then that God also prophesied a kingdom which was to come. We look at Isaiah 52, verse 7, and we see support for this. Isaiah 52, 7. We will go through a lot of scriptures today. So if I get ahead of myself and you don't have time to turn to each one, forgive me. But uh, we do have a lot of ground to cover. Isaiah 52, verse 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. And this as a prophecy of a reign of God that is to come. We also see in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So there we see prophesied that there is a kingdom that will be established at the time of the writing of Daniel. This kingdom was future. We also see in Daniel chapter 7 verse 13, Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So there we see the prophecies of the kingdom that would come and that would be established. Now, it's interesting because we do see then John the Baptist and Jesus come on the scene and they begin to proclaim. Matthew chapter 3 verse 2, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Matthew 4.17, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now that word at hand seems to indicate that, that it's very near. It's here. We are prophets of the kingdom. We are proclaiming to you now, Repent, because the kingdom is dawning. It is at hand. It is being inaugurated. And then Jesus sends out the twelve to preach. And this is recorded in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it wasn't just the message of John the Baptist or of Jesus. It was the message Jesus told these twelve to also proclaim. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what happened in those that heard? They were beginning to believe that the prophecies of the kingdom were being fulfilled in their very midst. And consider for a moment, if that's you and you're there, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? You, you? Let's say you know the Old Testament. You know that God says, I reign. But God says, I will further reign and establish a kingdom. And then, these men come on the scene. John the Baptist, this rugged man dressed in camel hair, comes out of the wilderness and says, the kingdom of heaven is here. And then Jesus, this man that comes performing all these miracles, and he is preaching, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand. What would you be thinking? What do you think? Now, here's where we need to understand where the people at the time were wrong. Many of them then wrongly thought that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to lead a rebellion overthrow the reigning Roman Empire and set up a kingdom on earth where he would usher in righteousness 
and they would live in peace, free from all their enemies. Was that what Jesus came to do in his first coming? But that's what they thought. John 6.15 says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. You notice this. The people wanted to make Jesus king. But Jesus fled from them. And he wouldn't let them do it. Well, does that mean that the kingdom of heaven wasn't at hand? The kingdom of God wasn't at hand? No. The kingdom was being established when Jesus walked the earth performing miracles. It had begun, just not in the way that people expected it to begin. Some evidence for this. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. Jesus says, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Was Jesus casting out demons? Was he doing it by the power of God? Yes, he was. Therefore, the kingdom of God had come upon them. Okay? Consider Luke 16, verse 16. Jesus says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is, present tense, pressing into it. And notice there we have that that title, kingdom of God, used there. People were pressing into it at the time that Jesus was on the earth. Consider also Luke 17, verse 20. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. It is within you. One more support for this, that the kingdom had begun, but in a way that they did not expect, John 18, verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world, speaking to Pilate when he was on trial. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So that settles it, right? There's nothing left to fulfill of the kingdom promises because... All of that evidence points to the fact that the kingdom is here. No, I don't think so. Because we have another body of texts. Another list of scriptural evidence. Okay? I believe it would be the error of grasping the already statements about the kingdom just to hold to that, but it would be missing the not yet statements regarding the kingdom. Let's look at a few of those not yet statements. Luke 19, verse 11. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Now this is interesting, is it not? Jesus has already said that if I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, the kingdom is here. But now, he's correcting these people, and this is later on in Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, later on in time, and he's correcting them because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. What does this indicate? That there is yet some future fulfillment of the kingdom which is to take place. Matthew chapter 26, 29 Jesus says, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You see, this is at the Last Supper. And Jesus is saying, as he takes the wine there, the cup, and as he says, Do this in remembrance of me. This represents my blood. He says, I'm not going to drink this with you again until I drink it anew 
in with you in my Father's kingdom. Well, we know that had to at least have been after his resurrection. At the very, very least, regardless of what you think about future kingdom, that had to have been future and had to refer at least till after his resurrection because he immediately went out after that supper and was betrayed and then went on trial. Well, consider also Luke 22, 29, and 30. We're not going to look at all 125 verses today, but we'll look at a good amount of them. Luke 22, 29, and 30. Jesus says, And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He says this to his apostles. Again, this was future at the time of Christ. This is future tense. One more, Matthew 25:34. This referring to judgment that comes after Christ returns. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So you see, there is an inheritance of a kingdom which it appears they had not yet already entered into. Because it is saying, Now you will inherit this kingdom after this resurrection and judgment takes place. So, we see the already not yet presented by Jesus and by others in the Gospels in particular. The kingdom had come upon them. The kingdom also was yet to come. The kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said, yet the kingdom has thrones and wine and can be inherited at the judgment day. Now, as we consider these, I think we need to realize these are not contradictions. Scripture is not contradicting itself. Christ wasn't schizophrenic. He wasn't a liar. He wasn't any of these things. He wasn't one thing one day and another thing the next. He was consistent in what he taught. These are not contradictions, nor do I believe that it's referring to different kingdoms. But I believe when we put all this together... It's talking about the establishment of a kingdom that has different phases. Mm -hmm. The kingdom has been established. And we're going to talk in a moment about the king and that the king is reigning over his kingdom today. But, I think that there will be a future stage in the kingdom. That's right. And I think that helps us put all this together. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail today what that future stage is or what it looks like. We'll go into that in the future as we get to some of the text in Luke. So, sorry if that's disappointing today, but we uh, need to focus in a little bit on where we're at now as citizens of the kingdom. But, let me just kind of give a basic glimpse of this. And this is going to depend on your basic eschatology. Eschatology being a big word for what you believe about the last days and the end times events. Okay? If you hold to some form of premillennialism or postmillennialism, big words again, premillennialism says that there's going to be a kingdom of God which is going to last, some say a literal thousand years, others say, no, just a long period of time. And the pre refers to that Christ is going to return before the millennial kingdom. Pre meaning before. Um, If you were here in Sunday school, Wayne Grudem outlined these different views for us. If you're a premillennialist, or if you're a postmillennialist, postmillennialism meaning that Christ will come after a millennial kingdom. I hope, first of all, that you believe that Christ is reigning over his kingdom today. Okay? First of all, we need to understand that. That Christ is reigning and ruling. 
You may believe that there's a future manifestation of that where Christ is actually going to be on this earth reigning and ruling in the flesh, but we at least need to understand, and we're going to look at scriptures regarding that in just a moment, that the king is on his throne. Amen. And he is reigning over this world today. And he's reigning through his people, through the proclamation of the gospel. But he is sovereign over this earth. Okay? But, um, if you're premillennial or postmillennial, you do believe in an earthly future kingdom ruled by the man Jesus called the Millennial Kingdom, where Jesus will stand upon the earth. Now, if you're amillennial, amillennial literally means no millennium, but amillennialists don't like that term because they do believe there is a millennium. They believe we're in it now. Okay? That we're in the thousand-year reign of Christ, if you will. And I know this is complicated if you haven't studied these different views. Uh, we're going to be viewing again the lesson by Wayne Grudem in the Sunday School Hour next week. So if you're able to attend and you're interested in the outlining of these views, you'd be able to view it next week at about uh, a little after 10 o'clock. But if you're amillennial, you believe that Christ has established and that we are in the millennial kingdom now and that he reigns from heaven over his kingdom. If you're amillennial, you don't necessarily believe that Christ is going to establish an earthly kingdom in this age, in this world, and you would hold more to that Christ said, my kingdom is not of this world. But, here's the thing. Even if you hold to amillennialism, you can believe that there's a future phase of the kingdom when Christ rules, even from earth, because he will rule over the new heavens and the new earth, you see. So, all three of these views, I think, can be consistent with the already not yet tension that we have already seen in the scriptures. All of these can be consistent with that. You can believe, even as an amillennialist, that when Christ comes, that he will immediately bring the judgment after the resurrection from the dead, but that there will be a creation of a new heavens and new earth and Christ will reign over that earth as a man actually upon the earth itself. But there will be some differences of opinion because if you're amillennial, you will believe that the judgment has taken place so Christ is reigning solely over the righteous at that time because the judgment the judgment has taken place, so the unrighteous have already been cast in the lake of fire. If you're premillennial, you will believe that Christ will be reigning over a world that has not yet been perfected, and there will be both resurrected people who will live forever and people who will die in that world, and there will be wicked people in that, in that kingdom as well as righteous people in that kingdom. Okay? Again, as we go through and as I preach through Luke, we're going to touch on these things more and more and more. But the thing I'm trying to point out today, the kingdom is already not yet. Christ is reigning over his kingdom now. But that does not mean that there won't be a further phase of the kingdom at the consummation of all things with Christ reigning even upon this earth. Okay? More on this in the future. Now, as we consider this, let's try and avoid a couple of errors. One is the error that I've already mentioned of saying it's only already here and there is no future phase of it. The other is saying it is only yet to come. But here's one further error, and I believe this one is a more serious error, so I do want to spend a little time to outline it. And that is the error, error that Christ did come that he did offer the kingdom to the Jews, that the Jews rejected the kingdom, and so Christ then postponed the kingdom. Here's where I believe this view falls into some grave error. It says that the kingdom that Jesus was preaching when he came and said the kingdom of God is at hand was the millennial kingdom where Christ would set up his throne upon the earth 
and defeat the enemies of his people and reign in righteousness on the earth. But that the Jews then rejected that, and so God then went to plan B, and plan B is that Christ would go to the cross and die. You see where the error comes in? And you see where it's a grave error? This view says that if the Jews had accepted the offer of the millennial kingdom, then Christ would not have gone to the cross and he would not have died on the cross. But the scriptures teach that if Christ did not die on the cross, we are all damned. That's right. Jew, Gentile, people before Christ came, people after Christ came, we have no hope. So I would propose that the scriptures emphatically teach that Christ did not come offering this millennial kingdom to the Jews. And so the kingdom has not been postponed in the sense that God went to plan B, Christ went to the cross, died, the gospel came in, and then Christ, and then God's going to go back to plan A in the future, and it'll be a millennial kingdom only for the Jews. You see, I, I disagree with that view. Now, this view comes from an older form of the system called dispensationalism. And some still believe this today, that hold to dispensationalism, but many dispensationalists do not. Okay, dispensationalism is the eschatological view, which uh, is held by men such as John MacArthur, Pastor John MacArthur, um, Chuck Swindoll, I believe would be another one, Tony Evans would hold to this, and then the Left Behind books present a basic view of this. These, those men that I mentioned, I know John MacArthur does not believe that the kingdom has been postponed. I don't know for certain about the other men and what their views are. But not all people that hold to dispensationalism today believe that the kingdom was postponed in the way that I've just described. But the older view of dispensationalism did teach that Jesus offered this earthly kingdom to the Jews during his first coming, that they rejected it, and so he postponed the earthly kingdom until his second coming. And this view does say that if the Jews had accepted the offer of the kingdom, Jesus would have reigned over them on the earth and thus fulfilled the kingdom prophecies of the Old Testament. Now, first of all, Jesus never offered them that type of kingdom. We've already seen that the people tried to make Jesus their king. And it says he went to the mountain. He fled from them. He would not let them make him that type of king. We've already seen Jesus say, my kingdom is not of this world, because if it was, my people would fight. Okay? So Jesus was not offering them this type of kingdom. But the other major flaws and even more serious flaws in this view, as I have mentioned, is the fact that the scriptures resound with the gospel truth that God sent His Son to die for the sins of all who would believe upon Him. And this is the prophesied purpose of the first coming. I mean, we have prophecies in the scripture that say over and over again that is why Jesus the Christ would come. Just consider Isaiah 53, speaking of Christ, the servant that was raised up, saying that he has borne our iniquities. By his stripes we are healed. It says it pleased the Father to bruise him. Speaking of the gospel of Christ, that he came to be our substitute. That he came to take our sins upon himself and bear the punishment of sin imposed by God the Father, the just judge, so that we could be saved. You see, we would have to basically rip that right out of the Bible or completely reinterpret it if we think that the kingdom has been postponed. Everything pointing to the gospel. Psalm 16, 8-11 proclaims the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If he didn't die, he can't be raised. He didn't come to live and to reign on the earth. He came to die and to secure salvation. Jesus said over and over again, I've come to finish the work of my Father. To finish the work of my Father. What was that work? We all know it. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son 
that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And this after saying that the Son of Man must be raised up as the serpent was raised up in the wilderness. What's that speaking of? His crucifixion. Being lifted up on the cross. He was given as a gift by the Father. All of Scripture testifies of the work of Christ. There was no plan B. Before the foundation of the world, God said, I am going to send my Son to redeem people that would sin against me. And just another final line of thinking about this. If the Jews had accepted this so-called offer of this kingdom, and then Christ would not die but would reign over them, how would people be saved? How would they be saved? Would they be saved by keeping the law? What do the scriptures say about that? Galatians chapter 2 verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Okay? What's that saying? Nobody can be saved by doing good stuff. Nobody can be saved by doing good things. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Why would they have been saved by the sacrifices? You know, they performed sacrifices in the Old Testament. Listen to Hebrews 10 verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Couldn't happen. What about just general faith in God? Could they be saved by faith in God? Well, there's one problem. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. So, just a faith in God without our sin being covered doesn't get us anywhere. You know, in one sense, the devil believes in God, right? The devil probably knows more about God than most of us do. But is he going to heaven? Is he in good relationship with God? No, because he doesn't have forgiven sins by the work of Christ. Because he doesn't rest in Christ. He doesn't trust in Christ. He doesn't love Christ. You see, the death of Christ is the only means of salvation both retroactive and proactive, meaning going backwards in time from the time of Christ's death and going forwards in time. Where do we see that? Look at Hebrews 9, verse 1. Hebrews 9, starting with verse 1. This is so important for us to grasp. Uh, This is the gospel, folks. Right now what I'm preaching is the gospel. This is what we have to believe as Christians. We cannot deny this. And the gospel says that nobody has ever been saved by any means other than the redemptive work of Christ. By faith in God and through the work of Christ. And nobody can in the future ever be saved by any other means but by through the work of Christ that he has died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised again and that he lives to intercede for us. Look at Hebrews 9. And uh, I said verse 1, but let's, let's jump ahead a little for the sake of time. We see in Hebrews over and over again that Christ is the high priest, that the sacrifices in the temple and all of that, that that pointed to the work of Christ. It represented that Christ was to come. The priesthood and the system of the priesthood in the Old Covenant with the Jews when they performed the sacrifices, that was a picture pointing to the fact that Christ was going to be our high priest, that he would be the sacrifice 
And he would be the one who gave himself as a sacrifice, both the priest and the sacrifice, you see. What do the scriptures say? Jesus is the Lamb of God. And it also says Jesus is our mega high priest, it says in the Greek. He is our super high priest, the great high priest on our behalf. Glorious truths that we have here in the book of Hebrews over and over again. But uh, as we work our way forward there through chapter 9, it talks about the fact that the things in the tabernacle were symbolic. They were symbols. They represented the coming of Christ. And it was for the present time in verse 9, in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regards to the conscience, concerning only with foods and drinks, various washings, especially ordinances, imposed until the time of reformation. See, we don't sacrifice today because the time of reformation has taken place. Christ has come. The things that they pointed to, that they symbolized, were Christ in his work. And those things are here. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. But the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. It was a temporary measure. It did not make them right with God, but it was obedience to God. And we've already seen from Hebrews 10 that the blood of bulls and goats, it was not possible for those to take away sin. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. And notice this now in verse 15. This is what I'm getting to. For this reason, he's the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. Whose death? His death, right? Amen. Okay. His death, he's the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the inheritance of salvation. Mm-hmm. Notice that. Christ's work goes backward Amen. and it goes forward. Yeah. Those who are under the first covenant, that old covenant made with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, they could not be saved by keeping the sacrifices. They had to have faith in God and then when Christ came, and Christ was crucified on the cross and made that final sacrifice and then ascended to heaven where he became the great high priest, his work shoots back in time and all those people are saved and redeemed because of faith in God, not by works, not by the law, not by the sacrifices, but through the work of Christ. And then all of us who believe in Christ, trust in Christ, rest in his work to make us right with God, we will be saved by the work of Christ. Amen. That's the gospel. So the kingdom is already, but it's not yet. It has been established, but it waits a fuller manifestation, and it wasn't postponed. And it's a kingdom which is growing in its fullness. But at the same time, as we consider this, we must remember that the king reigns today over this kingdom. The word kingdom, consider that for a moment. Kingdom. The king's domain. Who is the king? The very idea of a kingdom indicates that there's a king that rules over it. And when we say it's the kingdom of God, we're saying it's a kingdom that God rules over. The kingdom of God has been established. And Christ is God. He is the God-man. Both God and man. And he rules today over the kingdom of God. He has been given a unique kingdom as a result of his obedience and faithfulness to the Father. And the Father raised him from the dead, indicating that the Father was pleased with the work of his Son. And the scriptures teach as a result of that resurrection, Christ has been given the kingdom and that he reigns at the right hand of the Father. And he sits on the throne today. Let's look at just a couple passages, glorious passages of scripture. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. 
And as you consider this for just a moment, we sang that song, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You know one thing it means to seek the kingdom of God? It means to worship the king. Amen. <laughs> it means to worship the king. Mm-hmm. And that king is King Jesus. And we are to worship him today. We are to seek the welfare of the kingdom. Seek the good of the kingdom. Promote the good of the kingdom. And the only way that we can do that is if we're worshiping the king, Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we are rebelling against him and we are not seeking the good of the kingdom, but we're seeking the evil of the kingdom and rebelling against it. But consider this. Acts chapter 2. This glorious sermon on the day of Pentecost. Beginning with verse 22, Peter is preaching here, filled with the Holy Spirit. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves also know, him being delivered, notice this, delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. This wasn't plan B. God determined this in advance that he would deliver his son. You have taken by lawless hands have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I first saw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. There is that prophecy from Psalm 16 that Christ would be raised up and his flesh would not see corruption. Now notice the application that Peter makes from this. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David who wrote this psalm. He's both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. He's pointing out, he's saying, well, you can go over there and look at the tomb of David. This isn't talking about David. He wrote it, but this is talking about his greater son, Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, the one who would come later on. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to what? to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Now, is Jesus sitting on this throne today? This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. He has been exalted. You see, he is reigning on this throne today. The king is King Jesus. And he reigns over his throne. And we see that he will reign until he subjects all of his enemies and puts them all under his feet. The picture there is the picture of a triumphant king with his enemies under his feet. So he's standing on the neck of his enemies. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Beginning with verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead, has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. 
When was this reign of Christ inaugurated, if you will? Yes, when Christ came and began to perform the miracles, the kingdom was dawning. It was beginning. But then, after the completed work of Christ, when he was raised from the dead by the Father, we see that the Father then gifted him the kingdom. He reigns at the right hand of God, and he will reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And when all enemies are destroyed, then he will turn the kingdom back over to his Father. And the Father will be over all once again. But Christ has done this. Christ has come. It says in Hebrews 1, verse 8, speaking of the Son, For your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. For you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. My friends, the kingdom is here in that Christ is reigning over his people today. And the kingdom will continue to further and there will be a culmination of that kingdom. May we live to see that day when Christ comes and when death and all those who oppose him will be put down and he will reign even on this earth, I believe. But may we seek the kingdom of God today by worshiping the king and rejoicing if we are citizens in his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his reign and his power and his majesty and his might. Thank you that this kingdom has been established and that he has been exalted and that the name of Jesus, one day, every knee will bow, things in heaven, things under the earth, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to your glory, O Father. We long to see that day. But we ask as we live now, awaiting that time, that you will help us to be good citizens of the kingdom. That you will help us to live in righteousness for the glory of the Savior, Jesus Christ. That you will help us to live in hope, knowing that he reigns. And that he is powerful. And because of this, he can work all things together for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. May we worship the King who is all glorious above and gratefully sing His power and His love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.